My name is Molly McCartney. I'm an intuitive medium, the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Empower Your Wisdom, and the founder of the Empowered Wisdom School. This show was created for women who wish to trust their intuition so they can follow their higher calling and their bliss without fear, doubt, and disempowering relationships holding them back. If you're a spiritual woman with a business or career in any field and a higher calling you've been working towards, and you want to be featured on the show to inspire others with your story, go to empoweredwisdomshow.com. For now, please enjoy today's show, and don't forget to subscribe for daily inspiration from our very special guests. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Wisdom Show. This is your host, Molly McCartney, and today I am here interviewing Mary Joy. Uh, We're going to talk about the power of sensitivity. Mary Joy is a therapist, author, course creator for Daily Ohm, and the host of the Mental Health Discovery and Recovery Show. So we're on the same mission here, and I thought it'd be awesome to bring her on the show and, and talk to us um, and from her experience and from her space as a therapist and coming in to, to kind of bridge the gap between, it sounds like, you know, the therapy angle and the spiritual angle, but from a different, the different side, you know, yes, typically, I, uh, yeah, the holistic side. Exactly. So uh, she's done some amazing things in her life. She is now, you know, in service to humankind with the work she does. And she always has been, but um, she worked for kiss as a, as a, a makeup artist years ago. Um, she had a creative path as a singer songwriter and then she followed her intuition to um, end up writing and selling awesome books that, that are helping people today. So we're going to talk a little bit about her path and how she got to where she is. And then also sometimes the challenges that you still face when you, when you get to a certain point. So welcome, Mary Joy. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you, Molly. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I'm doing well. And uh, I hope everybody out there listening is doing well too today. Awesome. Thank you so much. So uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I gave kind of a rough, rough outline of, of what you do here, but, but share with us what your mission is with all the things you do and what your current focus is and how you help people. Well, I think even as, you know, you mentioned the music business as a singer songwriter or a therapist, I'm getting people in touch with their feelings. Cause I say that my job as a therapist is to help people listen to themselves, not to me, but to themselves. And it's, and I have to kind of, um, help guide them. I'm more of a tour guide of themselves. I tell people I can read every psychology book in the world, but I don't have a book on the story of your life. So I help them unfold their story so we can connect the past and the present to see how they can have a better future. And I think I did that as a songwriter too. It's like, you know, here's three minutes of, of, um, woe is me, or I'm so happy, or, you know, just love, 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 or, uh, you know, hope, all those things, all those things are in songs. It's the same process. And it's funny because writing rooms in Nashville, where I was, look a lot like therapy rooms. They're very similar. <laughs> I even have a guitar and a piano in my office. So it's very similar. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I, I once dabbled with uh, singing songwriting too. I never made it to Nashville or anything beyond a tape recorder, but you know, I really enjoyed that. And, and that calling to help and serve, there is these multiple ways you can do it. And I think we have yes. to pay attention to how we're wired and, and what kind of gets us out there in the way that we're designed to really serve. And, and yes. so there's multiple ways we do that. And I, the creative path is so um, common for, for those of us in this work as well, you know, whether it's singing, poetry, art, I, I find that very interesting that it's, it's very, very connected. 
So, so tell us about um, when you began your journey, of course, you began at the very beginning of your life, but when you started to become aware of your codependent tendencies and like, what was that awakening moment? You mentioned working for the rock bands and the rock industry. Um, tell us what it was like kind of beginning to wake up to those patterns at that time in your life. Well, I didn't know the meaning of codependency. So I'll just briefly describe it. Just lose yourself caring for others or keeping up an image for others. So I had, may they rest in peace, narcissistic parents. And my dad was a psychiatrist. Hence, another reason I chose counseling because I worked in his office and I understood the process because I went back to school late in life. But um, that the, the connecting tissue of all these things is that being a codependent means you lose yourself, but you also gain something. You have more compassion than other people. And people will often tell a codependent, you're too sensitive. And my answer wants to be, because I'm too nice and not going to say it this way, my answer wants to be, well, you're insensitive to other people's sensitivity. Because mm. really only 20% of the population are born empaths or empathic. Codependents tend to be empaths, but not all of them, because there's a controlling kind of codependent. And that's the, I know what's best for you kind. I was more of the doormat kind. It's kind of a spectrum <laughs> from doormat to, I know yep. what's best for you. Yep. But but in there, we all, we all take on those roles and there's co compassion and then there's codependency. So if you have a compulsion to help each other, to help someone to your own detriment, to their benefit and your detriment, you might be codependent. So we'll learn today if, if you are or you aren't and where you may be or may not be. You don't have to be codependent in every area of your life. You may have some, some relationships that need tweaking. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and so on, on your creative path, when you were, you know, like you said, opening people up to their feelings, why is that so important that people start to pay attention to those little movements, those little micro um reactions, um, kind of patterns, especially when they're in these codependent patterns and they really feel like they're going around in circles. Uh, people start romancing the sadness, you know, I, that's, that's a term yes. I use. And Best so question ever. <laughs> no one's ever asked me that question. Thank you, Molly. You're welcome. The reason it is so important because everybody says, oh, feelings, feelings, feelings. I get that, but codependence, and I know there's someone out there who's, who's like this, they don't, or we don't, cause I'm, you know, I still work at it. Uh, we don't pay attention to our own feelings. We pay attention to everyone else's feelings to make sure everybody's happy. The old show business saying is everybody happy. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. I mean, there's so many codependent songs out there. I could just rattle off tons <laughs> of them. And, uh, but yes, when, when people, um, become codependent. And I heard in college, when I went back to graduate school at age 45, one of my professors said, you're codependent. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm just nice. She goes, oh no. Oh no, you're not. And I was going to work in a drug and alcohol rehab. And she said, they will eat you alive if you don't get a grip on this. So that was the first I heard it at age 45. And then when I started looking in hindsight, I said, oh my goodness, I was an extension of my family's image. We even answered our phones with my father's name. Like it was Dr. J.B. Joy's residence. And one time I asked him, I said, do, do none of us ever live here? I mean, other people call us. Mm -hmm. it, there was no caller ID back then. So that's the days of when you answer the phone. But yes, it was um, it, it was unusual because I realized I had a loss of self at different times in my life. And it was more pronounced than other, others at different times too. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And what you're talking about is uh, with the family name and everything. I know my, my grandmother, it was the same kind of thing on the mailbox was, you know, Mr. William Bush. It wasn't, you know, oh, yeah. this is Mrs. <laughs> William, but like, oh, you're not yourself anymore. So, <laughs> no. you know, it's, it's very interesting and yes. she's passed as well. Um, rest her soul. But, um, you know, it's, it's, there's um, those dare I say patriarchal patterns, <laughs> dare I say? Yes, we dare you know? say. And, and some <laughs> of them are changing. They're changing. They but are it changing. Is. You do, you know, just in caregiving for my parents, I said, oh, I am no longer Mary Joy. I am Gloria and JB Joy's daughter. That is how I would introduce myself at every doctor's appointment, hospital visit. You may have been through that with a family member yourself. That you, you And I said, I don't even have a name anymore. But that's yeah. not codependency. That's compassion right. caring for people. So that's a good example of codependent compassion, codependent compassion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Well, I think it's interesting though, too, that that whole, you know, quote unquote, patriarchal structure, it, it does lead, I, I think there's an interesting parallel to women. And now I'm not saying no men are codependent because there certainly are codependent men. Oh, yes, many. But, but, you know, it seems to be a lot. I, I work with a lot more women who are becoming more aware of it and wanting to break free from it and mm-hmm. strike a balance because they are seeing the more narcissistic aspects of people in their lives. And realizing how they're not getting their needs met, how they're how they're continuing to kind of play into patterns and things like yes. that. And some sometimes what I'll see, or a lot of times, is you know actually there's not a huge dysfunction here if you can bring back your power and stop engaging in these patterns. Exactly. And take care of yourself. It's not always the other person's fault, especially with with codependency being a kind of addiction or trying to control the situation you know, by your caring and, and caring, you know, needing everyone to be okay. So you can be okay. That's it's what like- it is. It's a <laughs> twisted system. It's not selfless. I hope we just burst someone's bubble right there, Molly. It is not selfless. No, I realized, not. I realized in the course of writing my book, the codependent discovery and recovery 2.0 in the course of editing it, like three edits. in, I said, this is a form of self-harm and we're completely responsible for this. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I wrote a song a long time ago. It's all your fault, but only have me to blame. So yes, you're <laughs> yes. right. It's yep. you're keeping everybody happy. So you won't be anxious. That's particularly true if you're an empathic person or highly sensitive person. Yes. Amen. Amen. And so, um, you know, you had mentioned, uh, that kind of taking your power back through this, um, through this awareness of your patterns, and then following your intuition has led you to a lot of success as a therapist, as an author. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, following it to, to write for Daily Ohm and then also to find the right agent for your book. So tell me about that time in your life where things started to turn. What was it like for you to start taking your power back or claiming it and saying, now I'm now that I'm claiming it, I want to help other people, but I want to do it in the right way. So I don't want to do it the way everyone else tells me to. What's it right. like to to step into that great kind of greatness or step into that onto that platform? Oh, I don't know if with. I'd call it, I wouldn't I don't know if I'd call it greatness. I would I call it the the catalyst that was the catapult because okay. my brother passed away and no one told me. And that's a very long story. Uh and and I'll probably never know what happened to him. It was an investigation for for almost four years, and I'll probably never get the real truth of what happened. He was pretty young. He was an international trade attorney and highly successful. And who knows what happened? I honestly don't know. Um, Hunters found him in his truck with the truck still running uh, many, many hours after he was gone. And then the state of Texas, uh, I found out, I mean, it was Christmas. So it was Christmas time. 
it was, it was December 12th when it happened. And I, I usually heard from him on my birthday, which is November. And then I heard from him Thanksgiving and Christmas. He was kind of a loner. He was never married. And he just, he lived on a huge amount of acreage. He moved from a house in Houston out there. And I told him, please don't move to West Texas. You know, that movie, No Country for Old Men. I said, it's no country for old men and you're an old man. It's no country for old women. And I said, I'm just so scared something will happen to you and, and no one will ever tell me. And that was 20 years before he ever bought that property out there. So mm-hmm. I was seeing something way ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't disbelieve my own stories. I even wrote a book in 1993 that half of it took place in Winter Haven, Florida, where I am, and the other half in Del Rio, Texas, where he was, but he wasn't there when I wrote it. He didn't move there until like 2014, maybe 2012. So that we're talking about, this is, these are the things you never (laughs) would put together. So I realized, I said, okay, all this synchronicity, uh, I was in deep grief and um, complex bereavement because of the situations and because we had, you know, difficult childhood and all those things. But then Texas asked me, to tell all our family secrets because there's investigations, right? And I said, well, I had to be humorous because if I didn't put some humor in it, I was going to, you know, die crying. And I didn't want to be like that. But I said, it was a good thing that Texas was such a big state because I had to tell all of our family secrets. And there were a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So I, I, in this telling of the secrets and I had some freedom. I said, finally, you know, this I'm under oath. So, and I said, there, there are polygraph tests. Should anyone, you know, dispute this, but I realized, I said, I had kept his secrets, my parents' secrets, my own secrets, these things that hurt us, even little tiny things that just chip away, chip away at our soul, just chip away, chip away, chip away. So I took many walks around mountains in Sedona to heal from it. I just took it. I took me 10 months to take a month off. I just kept working. I just kept seeing people and working. I flew straight to Texas. I did what I could. And then I I came back and kept working. But in those walks around Sedona, around those red rocks by myself, I got lost one day. And I was crying so hard, my nose was bleeding. And I then I said, oh no, can this just be over? I just looked up to the sky and screamed, can please, can this be over? I just want this over. I don't want to feel this way anymore. My feelings again, I didn't want to feel those feelings. And all of a sudden I heard a horse clopping behind me. I said, oh good, I'm lost. The sunset on the red rocks, on the red trail, that horse will know where water is at least. And there was a woman on the horse and she looked like an angel, but she didn't act like one. And she said, I told her I was lost. And you know, when you're out on those seven mile trails and stuff, it's dangerous. So, you know, we're both females out there alone and on the backside of Courthouse Rock. If anybody's been to Sedona, they'll know that's a long way out there. And so um, I said, I'm just lost. And, and she said, follow the horse, uh, you know, the horse manure <laughs> in that go. moment, which she didn't <laughs> say it. She didn't use that word in that very moment. Cause that's exactly what I did. I looked at a big pile of manure and I said, uh, there's post-traumatic growth too. And manure is what we use for fertilizer. So I'm going to go back and start keeping a diary of what I've been through because I've I thrown away all my diaries when I was younger because I had a horrible mean husband that said he would read them. And I was married for 20 years to him. I threw my life away, all the kiss tour notes, all of that stuff, stuff from when I was 15. So I started one again and I I don't keep one now, but that became the bone and marrow of the daily own work. Cause I looked for a daily own meditation and I said, wow, I wonder what it would take to write a course for them. When, when I get through this trauma, maybe I could help people. 
because I, I don't write anymore. I had given up writing to be a therapist, which I'd been a writer my whole life. So I know that's a long version of it, but that's the progression of what happened. So tragedy, you know, wonderful and horrible things happen simultaneously in life. And this is why when I help people with trauma therapy, I try to get them to remember the wonderful things that happen simultaneously with the horrible things. Because when we don't pay attention that there is homeostasis, there is a balance to life. If you look for it, then you figure out what you can extract from the, from the tragedy that will help you help other people and in turn will help you. And then to discard what's not helping you. Those Phoenix moments we talked about. Yes. I always, yes. Uh, I tell I mean, my clients that same thing to, to start to uh, visualize where you're at in that Phoenix cycle. Sometimes yes. we're burning down. Sometimes we're flying high. Sometimes we're yes. just a bunch of ash goo and trying to figure out who the heck we are. And then the rising part is that slow recovery that some, sometimes fast, but to kind of dust, you know, dust off your wings and start learning to fly again. Yes. You know, that's what it takes. Yeah. And sure. the last chapter of my codependency book is a whole, it's a Phoenix ceremony. Like you take, there's two lists at the end of my, each chapter of what you don't want in your life and what you do want. And then you're only left with what's right. Cause you're going to discard the left one. You're going to burn it. Yeah. You, know, you burn it. Yeah. You burn it. I love it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, so let's talk about how those codependent tendencies still affect you today. As, as much as you teach, as much as you support others, as we mentioned earlier, once, once an empath and or codependent always, you know, we're always yes. going to have that part of ourselves that is tempted to, to give that power away or to not want to feel feelings, et cetera, et cetera. So how has that been showing up for you in the last six months, a year? And wow. sharing a little bit about that. Molly, you are just so excellent. And I, I love it because I do love being real. I will tell you, real is everything. And I, I have just stepped in again to a caregiver role with someone who lives in my home. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get help to help this person get help, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I stepped into that role again, but I've stepped into it not alone. I have drawn in help. I have not been alone in this, but yes, it's difficult when you, you know, we're all going to come in and out of being caregivers in our life. We have to make a choice between compassion or just, you know, boundaries. And please, if someone's listening, please don't make boundaries with a narcissist. Oh, please. I'm so tired. of <laughs> You can't make boundaries. And that's not what I'm dealing with here, but right. people just say, make good boundaries. Well, don't make good boundaries with a narcissist. They'll just push them. You know, they, right. Yeah. They yeah. The boundary is a brick wall. Like no, no it's passage. A challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've stepped in that role, but I've done it this time instead of, you know, pushing wheelchairs for seven years for my parents and waiting too long to get help or covering up for my brother all those years and doing things. I have enlisted at, from the very beginning, other people to help me in this. So thank you for asking that because I, I love it that I can tell people that come to me and they say, well, you wouldn't understand you're not codependent anymore. I said, um, no, it's just like, it's an addiction. It isn't one day at a time, some moment at a time, one breath at a time. Yes. It's an everyday thing. You have to know when to ask for help. And it takes more bravery to ask for help than it does to not ask for help. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. And it's definitely energetically, you know, in the spiritual coaching work that I do, I'll see also, uh, people who have codependent tendencies and or full-blown codependency have uh, challenges with receiving, you know, it's not yes. just asking for help, but it's like, you know, even a compliment or just a gift like, no, no, no. Or, 
like inability to receive that, that goodness, those, that abundance from outside of their action, you know, their yes. intended actions, like, no, yes. I, I'm this way to make this happen. And if I'm not making something happen for someone, then I have no, no purpose, no, no purpose or no way to, to, to really identify myself. I know that's yes. the way I was years and years ago. So I'm I, glad I you're not anymore. You needed Thank to you. be needed. Now we want to be wanted, right? Big difference. Yes. Big difference. And, and it feels like I tell my, a lot of my clients as well. It's, it feels strange. Like yes. when you start taking your power back and you stop the patterns and you realize like where, like, Hey, not everybody, I don't have to engage in this pattern with everybody. So what's different about the one person in my life yes. versus the other versus new people coming in. And then I think taking a chance on your dreams and your callings is a huge, yes. huge healer because we can't stay in those codependent uh, patterns no. and do this kind of work. No, we cannot. We absolutely impossible. cannot. It's impossible. <laughs> and when you find that you are like, I had waited 10 months to take a vacation and a break. Then I took a whole, I mean, it was like five weeks. I mean, seriously, I walked around every single mountain in Sedona, Arizona. Wow. I just amazing. made it my, I just, forever, I just took every the mountain labyrinth. trail I possibly could. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, it's a very safe place to, I know you're not supposed to hike alone, but sometimes, you know, and there's other people out on the trail, but yeah, um, I hear you. It, it, you know, people have to really pay attention to that need to be needed or a want to be wanted. And the way I put it is just like addiction. There's a big difference between saying, I want a drink or I need a drink. There, one is desperate and mm -hmm. the other one is, ah, I could take it or leave it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, and, and you mentioned, it sounds like you have a lot of help right now with your current challenge. And you also yes. mentioned like very briefly that putting boundaries up with narcissists. Yes. So is that something you currently deal with now or is it something of the I, past? I, that's mostly things my clients deal with hmm. because they, because people Google, I'm grateful when people Google their own stuff, but everybody's Googling narcissistic abuse right now. It's a big thing. That's why, you know, I'm trying to break the myths of it because mm. when they say set good boundaries, go no contact. I just wrote another book. It, I just finished it last week, the second draft. And it's, it's called navigating the narcissist, what to do when you can't go no contact. Cause we co-parent with these people. Oh, yeah. we, there are parents sometimes. I mean, I was 14 and 15. My father's, the whole book starts out with an intro from my dad. I said, dad, why are you so mean? The psychiatrist, mind you. And he said, I'm a full-blown SOB. I have no intention of changing and I'm a narcissist. And wow. I did not know what narcissist <laughs> meant. So I had to go look in his medical journals and I go, wow, he knows that. And he's still that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I was trying to navigate this as a 15 year old, which obviously I could not do. I didn't have the capacity to do it, but um, you know, some narcissists do have insight. And my dad did change later in life. He had a heart attack that turned him into a big pile of mush. He was loving and mm -hmm. kind and very sweet. So, the, you know, people can change, but most narcissists don't. So don't set boundaries. Don't try to go no contact. That's that's not going to help. And codependents don't do well with no contact. They they need to wean. You know, addiction. Some people cold turkey. The codependency you, because the anxiety is so strong when you break a trauma bond. You know that bond that feels like love but isn't. Uh, you've got to kind of wean yourself off. And when you get just anxious enough where you want to run back to the person, stay still. You know, hold your ground. Take your power back, like you said, and do it in little increments. Like instead of telling them everywhere you're going, don't only tell them a few places where you're going that month. Don't give them so much information because it's more ammunition for mm -hmm. them. Yeah, I hear you. I, 
I use the term budget your time because yeah, yes. the big, the big rush and maybe it's still going on out there. I, I was seeing it a lot more a couple of years back, just cut them off you know, and it doesn't work groups. It's like, just, <laughs> just burn it all down and cut off your past. And it's like, whoa, whoa. Like sometimes it's a soul contract and you're, you, you're going to learn a lot of wisdom by yes. dealing with this. Oh, you can learn from them and they're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I put in on my book, cause I grew up on the beaches in Florida. And I said, thinking that you're going to go out in the world and not meet a narcissist is like swimming in the ocean and thinking there are no sharks around you. They're everywhere. You just can't see them. And there's things you're doing. I, I don't like it when people say codependents are attracting narcissists code. They're not attracting them the narcissist is attracted to them mm. and they know just how to act to get you to fall for it with that Trump. They love bomb and discard, love bomb and discard, which we call idealize and devalue in, mm. in therapy world. And so, yeah, they're very good at it. They're, they're menacing. So hopefully mm. somebody got that. Don't set boundaries with them. Just use silence as a quiet boundary, less exposure equals more composure. Can you tell I was a songwriter? I love that. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I love that though. It's, (laughs) that's a great way to remember it. I know I have clients that will will really get a lot out of that, that little share that you, you shared because it's, it is so important to keep your power. And it is sometimes telling people everything about what your plans are saying, what do you think about this? Or, or is it okay with you? or whatever oh, form it yeah. takes, oh. you know, it just opens up the floodgates and then the power yes. gets sucked up. It's like the Dementors in Harry Potter. Yes. You know, you just saw your, your life force is gone and you have no decision-making skills anymore. And, and yes. that is key. You know, we, we talked a little bit about following intuition and that's a real big place where people stop hearing their intuition yes. because they are stuck in that, that kind of dysfunctional pattern of energetic displacement. Yes. And physiology, you know, there's, we have something called a vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S. If somebody wants to Google it, I'll make it really brief, but that vagus nerve is what makes you uh, have your breath taken away with a panic attack or have your breath taken away. When you see the grand Canyon, it -hmm. makes your heart pound. It makes your hand shake. It's our parasympathetic nervous system to our fight flight and frozen responses. If you can pay attention to your body and pay attention to your tension, you can take your power back in that very second by just breathing, stopping, pausing. When you feel that heart pound or that negative emotion, you reframe it. Instead of saying, what's this person going to do to me next? You go, it'll be interesting to see what they pull next. Do you see how yes. one's from fear, yes. from fear into excitement? Yes. Yes. I, yes. I hear you. Yeah. That's but a good how, one. How are they, they going to hurt me? Or so uh-huh. it'll be interesting to see how they try. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. And, and saying, I don't, I don't play that game anymore. Yes. You know, it's like, they're yes. still playing a game that I'm no longer playing. So yes. you're what's off their the field. next move, <laughs> right? You're not yeah. going to kick the ball back. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. I love that. Very cool. Well, um, with all my guests, as I mentioned before, we got into some wonderful conversation about how we help people, but I would love to, to offer you a little guidance that's coming through the cards today, if you don't mind. Oh, I, and here, you know, everybody here's codependents just need to say no. They need to say yes. So yes, Molly, thank you. Awesome. You say welcome. no to other people, but yes to yourself. Thank you. I would love that. I'm, I'm yeah. not very familiar with this, but I'd love to hear it. I'm no open problem. to everything and close to nothing. Oh, I love that. Very good. Well, it's just a little kind of overview of what's kind of happening in your life right now. And any changes you might be going through, we'll take a look at just a brief little reading of the energy surrounding your current state and and, and the current things going on for you. So 
So there's definitely been a, a shift in terms of how free you feel about sharing yourself, sharing your wisdom and experience. And I'm not just talking about this show, but I feel like you've just been released. Um, and it's, it's, if you, if you're not feeling it yet, it's coming. It's, it's a time for that, that you're, you're working towards not feeling caged in some way. This may have to do with what you mentioned, getting help for this Yes. Uh, this person in your home. Getting help you, to help someone. Getting yeah. help to help because because you're like, you know what? I know where this leads if I don't do that. So yes. I'm going to act and take um take uh action based on my need for freedom. And and that's gonna that's gonna be enough. That's not that's gonna be yes. okay with everybody. Um, you have been on a divine detour of uh, uh for a little while here, and I'm not sure if that slowed you down with new projects. Um, but some great opportunities have come during that time. And it's really for you, if you, if, again, if it's still going on bleeding into the, to what's coming up here, which is more of a shift and change in terms of the, what you're letting go of your responsibilities. Um, there's some change in work as well. I think the way that you work may be changing, but it's going to be kind of a revelation that comes out of the blue. And it, it's going to feel like another calling or another like aha moment, or this is, this is a way I'd like to simplify this and, and focus more directly in this direction. But I feel that it is going to ask you to let go of some things. Do you know what I might be talking about? Oh, I mean, you're just spot on everybody. Molly is spot on. It would take too <laughs> long to describe all, all the, the intersections of the things she's saying, but yes, you're spot on about everything. Absolutely. Oh, I, everything. Oh, I've even good. been playing. I've even been playing that Jimmy Buffett song, pacing the cage a lot. Because, uh, yeah. Because there is a time of transition and yes, I have been looking to expand and, and I've been releasing some things that I have to do and some physical things that, you know, I don't have a lot of clutter, but I, I, I have been releasing mm -hmm. and it's a big a difference than I don't like the word decluttering. It's releasing. Yeah, yeah it is releasing. A lot of I, things. And I feel feels, a lot of shifts. Yes. Yeah. It feels so good. I think um, there's a coach, Cheryl Richardson. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, she's a Hay House coach um, and author. And she used to, <laughs> she says, if you want to change your life, clean out a closet. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Never forgot it. Because <laughs> your brain is like a closet. Clean it out. Your thoughts matter. Get rid of those old thoughts that no longer fit that yep. no longer serve. Yeah. Yes. And even These... just the stuff around us creates oh, yes. that, you know, oh, it, yes. it holds the energy of, of what is, what is before, what is gone, what yes. is past. Yes. And so, yeah, definitely as you shift your identity here, just make sure that you, um, kind of hold fast to your vision for yourself. Don't get distracted by shiny objects or, uh, you know, temptations to get pulled back into comfort zones and things like that, because as you grow, there is, there's a, a nice, it's a nice initiation into a new level of, again, your work. And you may feel challenged sometimes because you're learning new things. And, but if you start with the beginner's mind and say, you know, this has been coming all along and you've, you've had it, you know, in your vision all along, then you just have to let it play out. And it's going to be seasonal shifts and seasonal changes. Think in terms of, of a year and what's going to happen in each season more than, you know, is it happening or not, or should it happen or shouldn't it? Uh, because wow. you have all the skills you need to do this, but it is a new mountain to climb. And to me, that's, you know, talk about course creation or book writing or, you know, big, bigger projects, that kind of thing. It's just about utilizing what you already know in a brand new way. So intention is huge. Your confidence is going to be huge. And there's a big 
transformation around that for you coming up? Thank you. <laughs> I've just, I, I write it for articles down here and I just wrote, it's, it's right on my computer. It is called the power of intention and reframing. <laughs> so yes, it is. It, and it's a change of intention that I've had to have because, you know, I can't do everything. I, I, you know, the codependent mantras, I can do anything. Yes, but you can't do everything. So, you know, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So I am releasing the things I can no longer um, fit into a schedule that, that is more um, true for me. I'm, you know, I just want to keep everything real. I think it's important that people stay real. Although real does not mean so vulnerable that you can get hurt. I know we all have heard about the power of vulnerability. It's right up there with boundaries. Both of those things are wonderful concepts with healthy people, but, mm -hmm. but don't be vulnerable around narcissistic or sociopathic people. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Keep your guard up. I think you would get that better than anyone. That reading was spot on. You're wonderful at what you do. Oh, I'm so glad. I love, I love it when I hear that. I get that a lot and I love it. So I'm so happy to help because it's a leap of faith every time. And I just, <laughs> I trust what's coming through. So I'm glad it was helpful. Oh, I very hope encouraging. It sounds even amazing. The, even the, the time frames you mentioned, like you're, that's, that's amazing. I love I'm it. amazed. Oh, cool. Well, I'm so happy to help. And I'm it's been so wonderful having you on the show, getting to know you a bit Thank better. You. We're actually neighbors. I'm here in Orlando, Florida. You're over there yes. in Winter Haven, Florida. So that's so cool. We met on, on a face global Facebook group. So yes. that's just super cool. But so let our uh, listeners know where they can find you, what you'd like them to know about you. And, um, and we'll, go from well there. it's easy to find me and because my name is spelled differently, but it's Mary Joy, J-O-Y-E. So I'm on Amazon. My website is winterhavencounseling.com. But if you just Google M-A-R-Y, my first name, and J-O-Y-E, my last name, it, you'll, it'll show up on Psychology Today, on dailyohm.com, which Daily Ohm is a lovely site with course courses that are very affordable. I mean, I say very, I mean, very affordable and I have four courses on there. And one of them is about codependency, but the other ones are about trauma and loneliness that I wrote during COVID. <laughs> so oh I was really, that was coming straight from my heart because I was just <laughs> as lonely as any person I was writing to. Mm. So yeah, that's what I mean about keep it real. I was very cognizant. I was trying to pay attention to my own feelings of loneliness and that, you know, the first days of COVID, cause that's when I wrote it. And, uh, so hopefully people can find the, if any of those things serve them, they can find it that way. And I'm easy to find online and I do coaching and, and counseling in the state of Florida. And I will be in other States next year. We're having a blanket license and working on other licenses too. Oh, there you go. There's a big change. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I think that's the that's COVID be... COVID did that for us actually. Mm -hmm. Oh, very there's a counseling coalition that's starting. I forget the exact name of it, but it will be sometime next year that certain States are joining it. So counselors can take their licenses and work with telehealth or to go to other states or do seminars because honestly depression in Alaska is the same as depression down here in Florida mm -hmm. and we we were in cages like you said we a lot of that so that's part of your spot on reading is will come out of that cage I think that's great for every counselor out there and for every person who needs a counselor your your, your range of choosing one is going to get much broader soon that's wonderful. Yeah. I think that's really important and it makes and sense. It makes, it makes sense. <laughs> and what you said makes so much sense. So thank oh, you, Molly. What a beautiful reading. You're so welcome. Well, I wish you the very best. And I thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. You're welcome. And thanks listeners. We'll catch you next time. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed today's show. 
If you'd like to hear more from our wise and wonderful guests, make sure you subscribe for daily interview content. And here's three ways I can help empower your wisdom for free. Number one, grab your copy of my Empower Your Life workbook. It will help you honor your inner voice, make way for new visions, and live with intention. Go to empoweredwisdomshow.com forward slash workbook to get your copy today. Two, if you're a woman with a well-established business or career and your intuition is nudging you to go in a more spiritual direction, we want to interview you on this show. Head to empoweredwisdomshow.com. Three, Listen and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Empowered Wisdom Hour, for free teachings, guided meditation, and channeled wisdom to help you thrive. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, and most major podcast platforms. At Empowered Wisdom Coaching, we help intuitive, spiritual, and high-achieving women who feel disempowered by self-doubt and relationship patterns realize their power and go for what they want without holding back. If you're ready to release doubt, fear, and disempowering relationships so you can follow your calling and your bliss the intuitive way, Book a call to see how I can help. Go to mollymccartney.com forward slash chat.